about, we're still talking about what? Amen. We're still talking about pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. And we are in the book of Leviticus. Today we're going to conclude the sacrifices that God has commanded Moses in the Old Testament to offer. Um, today is the fifth sacrifice and it's called the trespass offering. Let's recap, and this is your last time recapping about the offering. If you're not going to get it by today, you have to do it by your own, on your own later on, okay? Because I ain't going back to it. Um, so we say that there's five different offerings that God has commanded Moses, and they're all a picture of Jesus in, in, from a different angle, from a different perspective, right? We said that the first one is called what? The burned offering. And that represents Christ who gave himself up to God. He went to the cross willingly as an act of obedience to the Father just to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God, right? That's the burnt offering. The second sacrifice was the meal offering. And that's a picture of Christ, his life. It wasn't really about the cross, but we did it anyway. It's a picture of Jesus living the perfect sinless life, again, as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. And then we talked about the peace offering. And also we saw in it Jesus dying as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And the byproduct of that is that holy God and sinful men who were at odds with each other are now having perfect peace and harmony and fellowship because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And every the Father is feasting on the sacrifice and the sinner is also fe feasting on the sacrifice and we're having a, an amazing fellowship based on what God has done, Jesus has done on the cross. Amen? Amen. So these three offerings are the ones that we read that they are sweet-smelling aroma to God. And then last week we spoke about the sin offering, and today we're going to talk about the trespass offering. Now these two offerings are not sweet-smelling, I mean, we saw one exception last week, but generally we, didn't, we don't see the phrase a sweet-smelling aroma and the sin offering and the trespass offering, because they more deal about with how holy God and sinful man can have a relationship together. How a sinful man can approach a holy God, right? Last week we spoke about the sin offering. We saw how Leviticus chapter 4 in so many ways is so foundational in, into our New Testament theology. Almost every uh, action, every small part in that sin offering represents something big that we read about in the New Testament. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to talk about that trespass offering. This is so good. This is really, really good. Amen? So the trespass offering, let's read about it in Leviticus 5 and Leviticus 6. Um, you can turn your Bibles or read from the notes, Leviticus 5, 14 to 16. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally, remember unintentionally from last week, all the offering is only for unintentional sins. And sins unintentionally in regard of the holy things of the Lord. Then he shall bring to the Lord his trespass offering, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary, as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he has done in regard to the holy thing and shall add one-fifth to it, and give it to the priest, so the priest shall make an atonement for him 
with the ram of the trespass offering, and it shall be forgiven to him. Amen? Amen. Leviticus 6. That's also still the law of the trespass offering. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commit a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for a safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it, and swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, when it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen, or the thing which, was, which he extorted, or that which was delivered to him from safekeeping, or the lost thing which was found, or all that is about um, which he he has he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value and one fifth more to it, and give it to whoever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish, from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that um, may have been done in which he trespasses. So, let's see. There is, let's see if you guys, if you guys get this by yourself or not. There is a big, big, gigantic difference between the sin offering and the trespass offering. Can you guys figure it out, or do I need to tell you? There is one big difference. Uh, not quite. They're both, okay, so in our passage here, we see that the trespass offering, the first part in chapter 5 is against God, in chapter, in chapter 6 is against man. So trespass can work for both. But there's one big difference, which is restitution. That is the difference between the sin offering and the trespass offering, right? The, trespass, the sin offering, if you sin unintentionally, you bring a lamb, you bring a bull, you bring something, and then you just slaughter it in the tabernacle, and you're forgiven for your unintentional sin, right? In the trespass offering, there is an additional action that has to be involved, and that is restitution. restitution. And it's not just restitution. You restore it, and you add one-fifth more to it, and then you return it back to the person that you sinned against. Does that make sense? So, it's like this. You, um, God said, give me the tithe. You think that you made um, $1,000 that year or that month, so you give God 100 Two months later, you're looking back at your money. Lo and behold, you actually made 1500 not just 1000 So, you did not tithe $500. Okay, that's an unintentional sin. So, the tenth of that is what? $50, and you add 20%, which is $10. So, you go to God. You bring him a ram as a trespass offering, and with it, you bring back 60 bucks to offer it back to the tabernacle. $50 that was sinned unintentionally, and you add one-fifth on top of that and restore it to the tabernacle. Do you guys see that? Okay, so that's the first part of the law. When it comes to God, if you sin unintentionally in the things that belongs to God, you have to restore what was taken away, and on top of that, you add one-fifth of the value that was mistakenly uh, taken away, right? It also works when it comes to man in chapter 6. If somebody gives you something to keep 
Now, I don't know that that chapter here, verse chapter 6, seems like these sins can be intentional. It doesn't seem like there's unintentional. It's kind of like, I'm not sure if it's intentional or unintentional. But the point is, if you find out that somebody gave you 100 bucks, and let's say it's unintentional, you, you lost it, you can't find it, and you cannot restore it. And then you tell the guy who gave you the 100 bucks, oh, I'm sorry, I lost the money that you left for, with me. And then two months down the road, you find the 100 bucks. So what you do is, you take the 100 bucks back to the guy, and you add one-fifth of that, so that's $20. So you return to him 120 bucks, and you bring a ram as a trespass offering and offer it to God in that tabernacle. That is pretty much the law of that trespass offering. Amen? So you guys, follow the point here. The major difference between the sin offering and the trespass offering is that the trespass offering involves restitution and not just restitution, but you have to add one-fifth of the value that has been mistakenly sinned to add or against, and you add it and you restore it more than was taken away, right? So that's the point of the trespass offering. So we see here that the trespass offering works for the things of God. We see that in Leviticus 5, right? The passage we just read. And the trespass offering also works toward the things of man. Amen? Okay. And the difference, again, between them is the restitution. So in a way, in a way, listen to this. If you're a man and you have sinned, been sinned against, after the trespass offering is offered and the money is restituted, are you better off if the sin was not happened or the mistake was not happened, you're better off after the sin has happened? Probably after. You're going to make more money this way, right? If you, yeah, it's still a sin. I'm not justifying that. But what I'm saying is, if I go to Jimmy, give him 100 bucks to keep for me for a month, I am going on a trip, come back. Oh, the sin happened. He can't find it. Everybody's not happy. Then two months later, he returns to me, what, 120 bucks. I'm better off after the mistake has happened and the trespass has been offered because now I have been restored more than what I lost. Amen. And that's the point of the trespass offering, that the restoration is greater than that was stolen, that was lost. Amen? Think about that. This is the key to the trespass offering. Amen? Let me repeat that. I want you to get it. That which is restored is greater than that was stolen or taken away. Amen? In other words, you're better off with the trespass offering and the restoration than that which would have been lost in the first place. Amen? You guys follow that? And um, the Bible plainly and clearly tells us that Jesus is our trespass offering. Where we get that from? Isaiah 53.10. This is what the prophet said. The Lord was pleased to crush him, that's Christ, putting him to grief. If he would have rendered himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. Other translation, because he rendered himself, because he considered himself, because he made himself a guilt offering, which is the exact same thing as a trespass offering, same Hebrew. He will see of his spring, that's you and me, and he, uh, and he will prolong his days. He will be pleased with the product of what he has done on the cross. Amen? Amen. So Isaiah telling us point blank that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he made himself a what? A trespass offering. We saw last week he's a sin offering. This week we see that he's a trespass offering. Again, let me emphasize the point of the trespass offering is that after the trespass offering, 
what is restored is greater than that which was lost. Amen? You're better off with what is restored than which you have lost. Amen? And it works toward God, and it works toward man. You got that? All right, so let's look at that. Let's, with that foundation in mind, let's look and see how Jesus is our trespass offering. How, in a way, he restored things to God and he restored things to man that sins have stolen. And God and man are better off after the sacrifice of Christ than if the sacrifice would have never happened, if the sin would have never happened. Amen? So this is good. You guys ready? Let's move. So let's go, let's look at God. So believe it or not, I personally believe that when sin happened and men fell in sin, God actually lost some things. That it, it was not very good to God. It, it, it messed up a lot of couple of things. For example, God, when, when men fell in sin, God lost his opportunity, his chance to show his love and his goodness to men. You know? Why? Let's let's talk about that. Why do you think God has created man? According to his plan. I'll tell you why. I'll I, I tell you from my perspective why God has created man. I think I'm getting more and more understanding of that now that I have my own kids. So the Lord blessed us with Micah, okay? And um, I tell you, it was a big difference for me and Katrina. Before, we just go out to eat whenever we want. We just sleep, sleep eight hours at night, no problem, you know what I mean? And they would just go out, have fun, go out on dates and everything. And then Micah came. And lo and behold, you know, we don't sleep well at night, right? <laughs> Keeps both of us up. Three o'clock in the morning, he's screaming his head off. And I'm just like, you know, me and Katrina just cannot go out on dates anymore because what are we going to do with the baby? And then he started taking our money. A lot of it, you know what I mean? <laughs> so financially, things have become harder for us. And not only that, but my gosh, if this kid cough, we're like freaking out. We're like so dead worried, right? And then after all this mess, in a way, that Micah has put us in, we still wanted more kids. Well, th wait a minute, wait a minute. Why would anybody in their right mind, after he has the first kid and see the, the headache and the trouble and the worrisome that the first kid brings, still want more kids? Why? Because we, in a way, are wired to have that kind of sacrificial love. We want to have our kid, you know, that we want to work for, that we want to work harder to provide them better lives and better opportunities than we are. We're just wired this way, to have this kind of sacrificial love. And even though he keeps us up at night at three, we still want more kids. And now they all keep us up at night and we're not very happy, but guess what? We love it, I love it, you know what I mean? Even though we're better off, technically, without them, if you look logically at it, we're better off without them. But there's something that takes logic out of the equation here. You know, it is this love, this desire, this nature that we have in our hearts to sacrificially give to our kids and we'll do everything we can to make them happy. Amen? Now, here's my question to you. Where do you think or how do you think, why do you think man is wired this way? Where do we get this kind of sacrificial love from? You know the answer to that? It's in Genesis chapter 2, and God made man in his own image. This is the way God is, and because God is this way, he created us to be this way. Amen? 
God is this loving, merciful, gracious, self-sufficient God. He doesn't need nothing. He doesn't need to create anything. He's so good in his own. He's so sufficient in his own. But because he's so good, he wanted to create you and me so he can just give us his goodness and his grace. So he just can lavish us with this unamazing love that he has for us. So he can sacrifice and keep on sacrificing so we can be better off with him. Amen? That's why God created man, because he just want to pour out his grace and his love on us, and we just enjoy that. Amen? Amen. We get that from Psalms 103.17. Look at this. But that steadfast love of the Lord is from what? From everlasting to everlasting. His love for you and me is from everlasting. But wait a minute. You and I have been existed in everlasting, Right? But his love for us is from everlasting. You know why? Because that is his nature. That is who he is. He's just a loving, merciful, gracious father. And he from everlasting loved us. Loved the idea of having us. And that's why he created us. So that he can lavish us with his love. Amen? Amen. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. God is for you and he loves you with everlasting love. Amen? Amen? But then something happened in Genesis chapter 3. What happened? Sin entered into the world. Man sinned against God. And now man is separated from God. And all the love that the Father has for us, he cannot show us anymore because we have been separated from him. You guys follow me? So in a way, when when sin happened, something has been stolen from God. Something has been taken away from him. And that is his opportunity, that chance to show us his grace and his love and his amazing kindness toward us. Amen? Amen. That's why Jesus died as a trespass offering. That's why Jesus died as a trespass offering to restore that which was stolen. And not only that, but he will also add up more to it so that what is restored is far much greater than that was taken away. Amen? Amen. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If we would have not fallen in sin, we would have experienced God's love. No question about it. Amen? But because we have fallen in sin, because Jesus died on the cross as our trespass offering, now we have experienced the greatest love of all. Amen? We have experienced the love of God in a way that we could have never even imagined if sin would have never occurred in the first place. Amen? Listen to this, 1 John 14. And this is love. This is the very definition The Bible definition of what love is. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation and atonement on that very cross for our sins. When man fell in sin, okay, so this is the definition of love. That God sent his son to die on the cross to be a propitiation for us. Amen? Let's look at this other verse. That is uh, John 15, 13. This is Jesus. He said, greater love no one has than this. That is the greatest love of all. What is it? That someone, that's Jesus himself, will lay down his life for those whom he loved. That's you and me. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of his grace, which he did what? Lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. Wait a minute. I thought sin has taken that away, right? Sin has taken the chance and the opportunity of God to show us his grace and his love, right? 
correct, sin dead. But because Jesus died as a trespass offering, he restored what has been taken and he even added to that so much so that now God is lavishing, lavishing his grace and his love on us that we absolutely don't deserve. Amen? Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the coming age he might show what? The immeasurable, we talked about this word, the surpassing riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul is trying? The guy cannot find words to tell us how good that love is. Amen? It's immeasurable grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Do you see how? That which is restored is far much greater than that which was taken away, which was stolen. It's all because of Jesus being our trespass offering. Amen? Amen. Not only that, but when men fell in sin, God lost the chance to show his glory. Look at this. Let's read in, in um, Isaiah 43, 7. Why did God create men? Let's look at this. Everyone who is called by name, whom I have created for my glory. This is the reason why God made man. What does that mean? God created us for his glory. I look at it in two different ways, okay? The first way is this. Have you heard of the Rolls Royce cars or this is the fanciest, most expensive cars in the world? And they like handmade Every single minute detail in this car, right? Well, wait a minute. It's, it's the age of technology now. You can mass produce cars like nobody's business and you can pop them like nobody's business. Why don't you do that? Why do you have like to manually stitch everything in that car? Why do you have to like pay very special care and just show uh, amazing craftsmanship in these cars? Why do you guys do it this way? In a way, Royce Royce want to brag about what they can do, right? They just want to do that top notch, the best of the best. Not an average thing, not a mediocre thing, but the best of the best, right? And that reflects in the prices, of course. But the point is, they invest a lot to do the best of the best. Amen? And this is how I understand that verse. God made us for his glory. He made us because he's a creator awesome, innovative God. Amen? So he did the best of the best, and that best of the best was you and me. Amen? When, when I think when the Rolls Royce people, when they look at the car, they step back and say, wow, this is good. We did a great job, right? And guess what God did when he looked at man, and he stepped back and looked, and he said, and God saw that this was what? Very good in, in, in Genesis chapter, I think, 2. Amen? So in a way, that's why God created us, because he did the best he can. I mean, obviously, God can do everything. But in us, you can see the creation of God, the, the awesomeness and the greatness of his creation. And in that, he receives glory. Amen? It exalts him, right? The flip side of that also is that we're created to give God glory. But it's not that God is... It's not like our president, egomaniac. He's, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need praise. Amen? But he, out of us experience his grace and his love and his goodness, we can't help it but to praise him and give him glory. Amen? So that is the point. It's just God created us for his glory, for one side to display his glory, but on the flip side of that, that he will receive glory, not because he needs it. It's because we can't help it because we have experienced that amazing love. Amen? But then something happened in Genesis chapter 3. What happened? Sin 
entered into the world. And now this beautiful picture of mankind that God has created, now it is so marred, it is so messed up, it is so ruined, because something the Bible called sin. Amen? I mean, look at, just go to D.C., Southeast, go anywhere, and you see people doing drugs, see people just messed up. This is not the way God intended it, amen? God had created people so they can display his, his creation, his awesomeness, and his goodness in the way they act and the way they live, amen? But sin has ruined that, and God has lost his chance to display his glory and to receive glory, amen? But that's why Jesus comes in as a trespass offering, because Jesus died on the cross as a trespass offering, and he restored to God that which was taken away. And he did not just restore that which was taken away, he restored far much greater, far much better than this which was taken away. Amen? Amen. Look at this. Romans 9:23. When you and me know the Lord, look at the scripture. In order to make known, in order for God to make known, what? The riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, that's which, which is you and me, which he has prepared for, for glory. Amen? So God and you and me display not just his glory, but he displays what? The riches of his glory. Ephesians 1.12. So that... We who are the first, uh, the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his uh, glory. That is the very purpose why we have been saved. We are to be the praise of his uh, glory. And in us, God displays the riches of his glory. Amen? Think about this. How is that greater than what would have happened if sin would have never occurred? You guys ready? ready. All right. So if sin would have never happened... The glory that God would have been received is this, how our bodies function very well, how our brains are great, how the, the, the craftsmanship of us, it is just so wonderful, right? That would have been the glory that God would have received, right? But because sin have happened and because man fell in sin and now we are separated from God, now there is a dilemma. How can a holy and a just God be the justifier of those who sin? How can God be holy and strict and just against sin, yet in the same time, he provides sinners like you and me the chance to go into heaven? Amen? And that happened when Jesus died on the cross. He paid, he satisfied the wrath of God. And now, because Jesus died on the cross, you and me have access now to eternal life because of his blood, because of him being the trespass offering for us. Amen? Amen. So think about this. See how much glory now God receives? He solved the problem of sin that can never be solved, yet he never compromised none of his characters and none of who he is. Amen? I don't know about you, that's a very good reason to give him glory, amen? So in a way, when man fell in sin and Jesus died as our trespass offering, he restored even greater than which was taken away from God, amen? He restored his chance to love, he restored his chance to receive glory. Now let's look at man and how Jesus as a trespass offering restored to us far much better than what sin has taken away. You guys ready? Buckle up, this is good. When man fell in sin, we lost our relationship with God, right? 
Well, let's look at it. Genesis chapter um, 2.15. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And there is kind of a relationship between God and man. He's the master, we're the stewards, right? And we have to take care of his creation. We will enjoy his presence, but we kind of work for him. You guys get that? And then same happened. And man is kicked out of that garden. And the relationship that God wanted to have with us has been taken away. Amen? And we lost that relationship, right? But then Jesus comes and he dies for us as a trespass offering. And now because Jesus died on the cross, we went back to be God's steward over his creation, right? Nope. We have become far much greater than that. What have we become? We have become children of the Most High God. Amen? Look at this, uh, John 1, 12, but to all who, died, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Stewards of his creations. No, children of God, right? Jesus restored far much better than what sin has stolen away from us. Amen? I mean, John thinking about that said, John, 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love it is. This is the, the amazing, the most unbelievable love you can ever experience. The Father has given us how? That we should be called what? Children of God. I don't know about you. Would you rather to be a steward over God's creation or would you rather to be a child of God? You know why? Because Jesus as a trespass offering has restored to us far much more than sin has taken away. Amen? So man has lost relationship with God, but Jesus restored adoption and the childhood into the family of God. Number two, when man fell in sin, we lost our innocence, right? Genesis 2.25, and man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked and they were not ashamed. They're just innocent. They don't know right from wrong. But now, because Jesus died as our trespass offering, did God restore us, restore back to us our innocence? No, we still know good from bad, right? But he did something far much better, far much greater than being innocent in the eyes of God. What are we now in the eyes of God? We are justified. God looks at us and he doesn't even see any of our sins. He doesn't even see it because we are covered in the very righteousness of Christ. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Bible say, is our covering before God. Romans 3, 21 to 24. But now the righteousness of God, God's very own righteousness, apart from the work of the law, has been revealed, being witnessed by the law of the prophet, even the righteousness of God that can be imputed into your own account. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus, to every single sinner in this world, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. He can be the most wicked of all. And once you place your trust in Christ, then the very righteousness of God will be deposited in your account, and you will be as holy and as righteous as Jesus is. Amen? Verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short before the glory of God, being justified by labor and hard work and trials and sincerity all your life. The Bible say, right? Yeah. No, how? How you're justified? Freely, by grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Because of the trespass offering that is, is Christ Jesus. We lost our innocence when we fell in sin. But now we are justified before the holy and the righteous God. Amen? I don't know about you. Which one do you think is better? 
Which one is better, to be innocent or to be justified? I'll take justified any given day. Amen? Why? Because Jesus restored far much better than what sin has taken away from us. Amen? But number three and the last point is when men fell in sin, we lost the garden. No agreement there. No disagreement there, right? Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 23 to 24. Therefore the Lord God sent him, that's Adam, out of the garden of Eden to tell the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out man, that's Adam. And he placed the cherubim in the east of the garden of Eden and the flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God created this beautiful paradise and put man to take care of it, right? Man fall in sin, what does God do? He kicks him out of the garden. Now Jesus comes and he dies for us as a trespass offering. And now everybody who believes, God takes back and put in the garden, right? Nope. We're going to be... We, God, Jesus restored to us, not the garden, he restored to us the very presence of God, heaven itself. Amen? Amen. Look at this. Revelation 21, 2-4. What an amazing, amazing scripture. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a, a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God with the Think about that. The tabernacle of God with man. The home where God and man will live. Amen. And he will dwell with them. God. Think about this. This is, this is unfathomable. Uncomprehendable. That God will dwell with us. And they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. God. Think about this. God himself will be with them. Amen. You're going to live where God lives. Isn't that crazy? And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, no more immigration, no more paperwork. Right, Justina? Amen. For the formal things have passed away. I don't know about you. Which one would you prefer? To be in the presence of God like this or to still work in the garden? I'll take that any given day. Why? Because Jesus, as our trespass offering, has restored to us far much better what sin has stolen away from us. Amen? Amen. This is amazing. I hope you like it. I, I'm, I'm just so happy here. Amen? This is what Jesus has done for you and for me on the cross. He restored to God far much greater than which was taken away. And he restored to you and me far much greater than what has been taken away. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you. It's, I think it's time to give him glory. Amen? Amen? Let's all stand up. I want us to stand up and pray.